In case you missed it, here is a clip from Episode 3 with Boomer Foster, president of Long & Foster Real Estate. Leadership is about um, doing, not saying. Mm Because, you know, you you get a lot of vocal people who profess to be leaders and they'll say one thing, but when you watch them perform, they'll do something completely different. Right. And I think you've got to have a consistency. Like, I want to lead by example. If I I don't want to ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So if we're talking about, you know, uh, managers or regional managers, and you're talking about, you know, making contacts and recruiting and building mm-hmm. relationships. I, I don't have legitimacy if I'm sitting in the ivory tower and saying, you guys need to be doing this. If all I'm doing is sitting in the ivory tower and not out doing that myself. So right. leadership by example is something that I learned in football because I was very vocal um, when I first got to college. And, mm-hmm. and, and by the time, you know, at the end, it wasn't about, you know, do as I do. It wasn't about do as I say. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Go With John Show. We are super excited that we just wrapped up our conversation with Rachel Foster. She shared some very uh, personal stories with us about her decision to donate her kidney and uh, a little bit about what it was like to grow up in the Foster family, as well as some of her viewpoints on uh, being a real estate professional. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed chatting with Rachel Foster. Rachel Foster, welcome, welcome. Thank you for coming in to uh, chat with us today. John, I am so excited and honored to be here. I appreciate you asking me. Yes, obviously, I think that uh, you were a little hesitant. I uh, I was actually just reading on uh, the Facebook interface uh, or the interactions on Facebook that we were having, and I asked you to be on the show, and you said... Uh, something along the lines of, I don't normally do TV, radio, um, podcast interviews. Uh, not comfortable talking about myself. That may have something to do with being a, a woman raised in the South. Right. Um, but uh, I, I did say, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, um, that if, if with a little tequila, I might be willing right. <laughs> to so, participate. So. Yeah, just so for the record, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And I a, have not consumed tequila today. Yeah, not yet, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for doing this. I'm really excited about chatting with you. And we, we had an opportunity to uh, chat with your uh, with your uh, brother earlier, and you heard his episode. He's got some, some great stories. So so on that note, tell us a little bit about what, because because I, I, I said the, the same question to Boomer, you have a lot of A-type, big personalities in the Foster family. So what was it like growing up with, uh, with Boomer and the rest of the Foster uh, group there in Georgia? You know, it's interesting. That's an understatement. We are loaded down with uh, big personalities. When we get together for Thanksgiving and we, until this year, for the past four 40 years we've gotten together all of the foster brothers my my aunts cousins grandchildren um, it's a big group it's a mm-hmm. loud group um, you have to warn people when you bring them in right <laughs> um, because it can be a little overwhelming but they are the most wonderful loving generous people you have ever met mm-hmm. um, we are great friends with our cousins we are blessed to be surrounded by people who speak into our lives, who care about us. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost our dad 25 years ago, and um, 
they just surrounded us with love that they that they've always shown us. Right. Um, but they became surrogate fathers, um, and it it's just it. We are really blessed. It's idyllic mm-hmm. um, to have this group of people surrounding us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what are some of your great memories of of your childhood in the in the foster family? Do you have anything that comes to mind or that stands out? You know, it's interesting. One of the things that one of the exchanges that um, I saw on Facebook recently was about our Sundays mm-hmm. um, going to my grandmother's. So my mm-hmm. uncle Wes, uh, when he moved away to go to VMI, mm-hmm. he never returned to Georgia to live. And so the remaining brothers, my dad, his brother Don and Terry stayed in the Atlanta area and um Every Sunday, we would get together. We went to different churches, but after church, we would stop by Wendy's or Kentucky Fried Chicken mm-hmm. or someplace and bring food to our grandmother's house um, mm-hmm. and grandfather's. Right. And um, we would spend all Sunday afternoon together. And Just hanging I, out in the yard. Yeah. Yeah. Hanging out in the yard. My grandfather let us drive. Um, sounds weird to call him grandfather, he, my grandpa. Um, we, we, he would let us drive his truck up and down the, um, the driveway. Yeah. And so we were young yeah. and, and had so much fun. There was a little store maybe a quarter mile from there, and they would give us a dollar and let us go buy candy. You mm-hmm. know, it's just little things, but there was freedom um, in that. The, the relationships that we built as a family during that time are so rich. And, and it leads back to what I was saying earlier about how – Um, You know, we are just surrounded by love, and it was built on those Sundays and then those Thanksgivings. My Mm -hmm. Aunt Betty, uh, Wes's wife, is the one who, when I was 10 years old, said, you know, we're never going to know your family in Georgia if we don't do something about that. Mm -hmm. And so she's the one who um, encouraged us to come up for that first Thanksgiving, and we went to their house in McLean Mm -hmm. um, on Crest Lane and uh, had our first Thanksgiving. We actually arrived in a, um, oh gosh, a, a camper of some sort. We all came up together from wow. Atlanta. <laughs> like um, an RV? Like a class? It, like an RV, yeah. yeah. We joke about it being like the Clampets. Right, you know? right. Because, <laughs> um, you know, we just rolled into town and... Yeah. Um, that from that point on, it has just been a very rich tradition. Um, you know, we we make an effort to be together, right? And um, you ha- you have to do that. Yeah. I think all families have to make an effort because life takes over, and uh, you've got to hit the brakes every now and then, and uh, and make that happen. So, so what year was that? Do you remember what year that was about? That would have been nineteen eighty one. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we actually maybe five or six years ago sat down and tried to figure out where we've gone every Thanksgiving for mm-hmm. the last now forty years. Right, um, and you know it's it's interesting to look back on pictures that we have and you know memories of of all of those interactions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so tell me tell me a, a story that uh, you you remember about your dad. Let's talk a little bit about Larry because Boomer talked about uh, his dad. A lot of great stories there. Yeah. What are uh, give, give me one of your great memories memories of Larry Foster. You know, it's interesting. This is going to be just sort of a vague recollection, but when I think about um, my favorite 
childhood memory of my dad. It's when he would carry me um, from their bed to my bed. If he and my mom had been out somewhere, Mm -hmm. there was something about waking up in his arms as a little girl and knowing that I was safe and protected um, that still sticks with me today. Um, You know, 25 years after his passing. Um, I also have this memory. It's been a long time um, since he passed away, but uh, I have this the the memory of how his how he smelled Old mm-hmm. Spice and mm-hmm. nicotine um, <laughs> on his suits. He was an attorney um, right. in our town, and um, yeah, there was there's something about that smell that's also very evocative to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Another favorite memory of mine, he was very patient with me in teaching me football because mm-hmm. he never missed one of Boomer's games. I don't think he missed junior high, high school, college. Wow. He he was present. That's um, amazing. He came to my dance performances, my tennis matches. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how he balanced all of that, mm-hmm. but we were his priority. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the same can be said for our mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It at football games when he was fully focused on everything that Boomer was doing, and in junior high and high school, Boomer played on both sides of the ball, so there wasn't a break. Right. Um, my dad answered every question I had, explained the game to me, explained that I should be watching um, the line of scrimmage and not mm-hmm. the ball. Like you know, all of these little things that, as as a girl who hadn't really paid attention to that sort of thing up to that point. Um, they mattered in my education and being able to support my brother. So I love that memory of his patience, his generosity. Um, There was an ease with my dad Mm -hmm. um, that um, I I just really love. Wonderful. Sounds like a terrific man. He was, he was. And you know, I think when people lose a parent, um, we put them on pedestals. and I'm sure that every single one of those people would say, well, they deserve to be on a pedestal. And I'll, I'll say the same thing about my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he really was absolutely um, the best possible father. I can't, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, as um, I said to Boomer, obviously uh, his, his uh, character and spirit lives on with you two. And uh, you're, you're a testament to what a great man uh, he was and is. Oh, you thank know, you. So. I, I'm not sure I deserve that, but I appreciate it. Yeah, um, you deserve it. Absolutely. Oh, you do. <laughs> thank you. So thank you for sharing that, uh, sure. Rachel. So I have one more, and I'm going to be brief on this because okay. I know you don't want to talk about it or you're not comfortable talking uh, about it, but uh, we you donated a kidney. I did. And that is, to me, just amazing. And I, I first learned about it like we learned so many things in the world today on Facebook and uh, Boomer in his episode uh, spoke about your um, donation and we're going to roll that clip now. Tell us uh, what what Rachel did. Well, I'll tell you when we when we when you talk about our corporate culture, we talk about being a, fan, a, a, a company of trust, family, and excellence because mm-hmm. you know those three things mean different things to different people. But I think what Rachel did and donated her kidney actually epitomizes what we think about as a company because it wasn't like she um, donated her kidney to her best friend mm-hmm. or to one of her family members. Um, one of our manager's husbands was in a situation where his his kidneys were failing. Mm-hmm. Um, needed a, a kidney transplant, was having a very hard time. You know, he was in a, in a desperate situation, was finding, having a very hard time finding anybody who was a match. And mm-hmm. my sister very selflessly started praying about it. And, you know, she, she figured she would go and um, 
find out whether or not she, you know she was a person that could potentially uh, donate her kidney. Not that she had made the decision to actually do that, but she, right. you know, I'm sure in taking that test, you know, or if I, I'll just put myself in that space. Mm-hmm. If I were the person taking that test, I would probably have my fingers crossed that please, please, God, if this is you know. <laughs> If this is what you want me to do, okay, but I'd really prefer not to give one of my kidneys. But my right. sister's such a selfless person. You know, she went in there and she took the test and, and it came back and she was a match. And she mm-hmm. had the opportunity by giving an organ mm-hmm. to save somebody else's life, but not somebody that she was close to. Right. And it wasn't somebody that she shared blood with or that she grew up with or that she had any special relationship with. In fact, it was something somebody she really didn't know very well. Right. And she came back and she found out she was a match and she prayed about it and she felt like that was something that God was leading her to do. Right. And she did it. And the story, I mean, for me, I, you know, I made a joke with her. I said, gosh, Rachel, you know, I hope you don't ever need a kidney because, you know, because I'm not sure I could do that even for you. Uh, but she, you know, just to watch the selflessness of that act was humbling for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she didn't complain about anything. She went in. Um, I think they picked her up the morning to take her into surgery. I picked her up a few days later to bring her back from right. Richmond after doing the surgery. And, you know, you're down for two weeks and she didn't want help. Right. She, you know, she, you know, she, she tried to live as normally as she could during those time that during that time period. And she didn't complain one time. I mean, right. I'm sure that it was a painful thing. It was a major surgery. Um, and that selflessness is something that I frankly envy. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to be selfless in all that I do, mm-hmm. but the idea of actually stepping out and risking my own life to save the life of somebody else, mm-hmm. I don't know that I could have done it. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm just so proud of her. She's a, you know, she's special in a bunch of ways. I mean, she's her, she's, she's smart. She's driven. You know, she's talented. And but to think about, you know, that level of, you know, essentially godliness and selflessness, Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of humbling to be her brother. So, Rachel, knowing what Boomer, you know, has said about your your kidney donation, which I personally think is just amazing. And I, I, I agree with Boomer. I, I don't think I would do it. Uh, I really don't think I could do it. I mean, it's 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 an it's an amazing thing. But but I guess just tell us a little bit in, in, in your words uh, what what you what you think about the whole experience with uh, with donating your kidney. Well, I think one thing needs to be made perfectly clear. If I had been doing this of my own power and ability to sort of dig down deep and mm-hmm. and do something as big as this, I wouldn't have done it either. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to suggest that I'm somehow, um, you know, amazing for having made this decision. What I did is what I try to do with my whole life, which is have faith in God mm-hmm. um, and what he asks me to do. I respond to. And mm-hmm. so in this case, I, you know, I'm sitting at a manager's meeting mm-hmm. in probably February of 2019. Um, and the manager whose husband uh, was losing his battle with kidney, kidney disease said, you know, hey, if any of you have type O blood, um, would love for you to get tested. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking through the whole process. I approached her after that meeting mm-hmm. and I just kept saying, you know, God, if this is where you want me to be, then open doors and I'll walk through them. And mm-hmm. if it's not, close the door. And, and I, you know, that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was a journey of faith for me. When I look back on um, th- the fact that 
many of my agents came into my office and shut the door. Mm-hmm. And I think they all thought they were doing it individually, mm-hmm. but they came in and they said, are you sure about this? Mm-hmm. You know, do you understand the chance that you're taking? We're not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was difficult for them because several times I said, look, if I die on the table, I've won the lottery. Right. And I'm okay with that. Right. Um, I'm, I, I knew from the beginning I couldn't be wed to the outcome, mm-hmm. you know, how it affected me or how it affected uh, the recipient. Mm-hmm. I just knew that this, as those doors opened, this was the path that I was on. Right. And I was going to continue down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was interesting telling Boomer that it was something that I was thinking about doing. Um, less interesting when I told our mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Boomer was helping me actually that day moved some stuff in my apartment and he had come upstairs and I said, I said, I'm about to call mom and let her know because I had passed the final test and I was definitely not bringing this up until um, I had passed that final test. And I said, and and he said to me, could you wait until I'm gone? (laughs) (laughs) Great support there. Uh, Yeah. From Boomer. Well, I think he knew what was coming. Absolutely. Sure. My mom had lost her, her husband a year before. Yeah. Um, to sepsis Mm. after open heart surgery. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that literally 12 months later, I was going to voluntarily have surgery, I think was a very difficult thing for her. Right. Um, But, um, you know, it it took her a minute to to understand why I was doing what what I did. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the end, they were both amazingly supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Boomer Boomer talked in that clip about the fact that I wouldn't accept help. I I don't know that I necessarily needed it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the surgery was on Tuesday. I got home on Thursday. Um, I, I went back to work Friday morning, just working from home, uh, right. reviewing contracts for my realtors. Right. Um, and you know, they, they drove me places, um, if I needed to be driven and, mm-hmm. you know, Boomer ate all of the sweets that my agents brought to the house. <laughs> um, so, you know, there was a lot of assistance there. And also the first morning, um, I, I, you know, you're supposed to get out and exercise. Right. Um, but they're very specific about how much you get. And, mm-hmm. and Boomer walked with me that first morning, actually, for probably for the first three or four days. Wow. Um, and he watched his watch mm-hmm. so that we went, you know, X number of minutes away from the house and then X number of minutes back. Right. Um, so, yeah, I... Uh, I'm, I really am just surrounded by amazing people. Yeah. Well, you are loved by many for sure. It's oh, amazing. Thank you. So the one thing Boomer did not say in his episode was about the kidney. He said that he wouldn't necessarily do the same for you. And then after you and I spoke, you said what Boomer didn't say was that he's really upset that you no longer have a spare kidney in case he needs one. That's exactly right. What Boomer <laughs> wants is my my kidney. But now that it's gone and I have to live on the one that, that remains, um, he's out of luck. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm John Jorgensen, and if you want to learn more about buying a home or selling your existing home, contact us through the show. We work with an incredible network of professionals who can help you get through the process smoothly. Again, that's GoWithJohn.com.
Well, so let's let, let's move on to uh, to real estate. So when did you go into? So eventually you followed Boomer, right? Boomer uh, came into the real estate uh, business before you did, and then you came sometime later. He did. So in 2013, I was the assistant superintendent of a school district just south of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and I'd been there for five years. And Boomer called me. If I remember the story correctly, Wes's daughter Amanda. Mm-hmm. Had and mentioned to her dad, you should talk to Rachel about getting into real estate. Mm-hmm. And so Wes said to Boomer, why don't you give your sister a call? Mm-hmm. Nobody expecting me, I think, to say yes, because at that point I was 19 years into the field of education. Um, you know, I had I had spent a lot of time getting educated um, to, to be good at what I did. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think they were just saying, you know, hey, just give it a shot. Just let her know that, you know, if if she wants to come and work uh, for us, we'd be happy to have her. Mm -hmm. And Boomer called me, and it was, I I think, late winter of that year. And he said, hey, you know, Uncle Wes wants to know if you want to come sell real estate. And I laughed. And I said, no, of course I don't want to come sell real estate. Like, who would want to do that? Right, exactly. I think a lot of people ask themselves that question often. Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, And, you know, what I knew of real estate at that point really was what you see on television. Right. So what is that? What what do you see on television? Um, So what what was, can you remember what your perception of real estate was? A very... um, overt, salesy, mm-hmm. um, obnoxious, mm-hmm. selfish approach to real estate. Right. And when I hire realtors now, I, I, I say to them, look, I don't know what your perception is, but here's what we're not going to do. Right. Like if you're joining this office culture and this company culture, we're not doing any of those things. That and you see I, on TV. That you yeah. see on TV. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that, that all realtors on TV fit into that mold. Sure. Um, I'm just saying that my takeaway was that, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you, I was sitting across uh, my desk in McLean when I was when I first went into management in Northern Virginia, across from my uncle. He had just dropped by as he was wont to do at the time, mm-hmm. and I leaned forward and I said, "Do you understand that I would not be doing this if it weren't for the fact that you have built a culture of people?" that is generous and collaborative and mm-hmm. loving and cares about one another and doesn't see the other as competition. Right. That's who we are as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that weren't true, I would be doing something else. Right. And he laughed and said, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. You, you do realize we all call Wes Uncle Wes, yes. right? Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's funny to me. Um, I, I do need to get back to how I got yeah. into real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get back um, there. I, I don't want to lose that. But sure. um, my, I don't know, first week or so in the business, mm-hmm. um, my cell phone rings and it's him. And I called Boomer afterwards and I said, my heart was pounding out of my chest. And I had to remind myself, this man is your uncle and he's been your uncle for I don't know, 42 years at that yeah. point. Um, so settle down. Right. But all of a sudden he had become something else. This man who had created an empire in mm-hmm. seven states in D.C., um, you know, it, it, he there was this this myth, this legendary quality to him. Right. Um, and I had somehow separated that in my mind. So. Uh, for a yeah. while there, he wasn't Uncle Wes. Yeah. I, well, I know exactly what you mean. It's just like when I started working with Lily and you begin to realize, wow, there's a whole 
nother uh, part of the brain and a whole nother part of the personality. Lillian Jorgensen, my mom, a uh, successful real estate agent. I knew her. She was always mom, sure. you know, and then I got my real estate license in 2004 and I'm, you know, hanging out with her in the office and trying to find my way. And you realize you, there, there is a whole different side to somebody. So I can imagine uh, how, how intimidated you must have uh, felt or was it intimidation or was it... Uh, sure what word I would apply to it. I just remember being nervous. Yeah. Um, you know, all of a sudden I'm this brand new realtor talking to the president and CEO mm-hmm. of this huge company. Um, and for a minute there, he wasn't uh, my uncle. And, right, and I right. thought, well, wait a minute. You know, that's that's not the relationship that you have. But, right. you know, it, it did take a minute. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. So let's go back. So tell us, so now, getting into real estate. So, right. So I said yep. no. Yes. Um, Just like you told me no, you're not doing the podcast. Exactly. Right? And then yep. somehow I'm here. Yep. yep. Um, I, I prayed about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just kept coming up in my mind. And um, I, I came down to Northern Virginia for my nephew's birthday, mm-hmm. and I said to Boomer that weekend, and I'm sure it was shocking to him, I said, you know what, I've prayed about this, and I, I think it's where I'm supposed to go next. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I essentially said, tell me what I should do. Mm-hmm. And for, I, I don't know, for the next few months, I did a correspondence course right. um, through Mosley, yep. and I would get up at like, 2, 2.30 a.m., mm-hmm. and I would study for two hours. I would get on the elliptical machine that I had in my condo and exercise, and then I would get ready, and I would drive from my home in New Jersey into Pennsylvania to work for the day, come back and do it all over again. And I, wow. I told Boomer at one point, you know, being an educator, I said, there's no way I'm going to pass this test. Right. I'm doing two hours, you can't even say a night, right. sometime in the middle of the night. Yep. Um, and so I, I honestly was shocked that I passed it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, Not as shocked as I was when I passed <laughs> mine. <laughs> I remember yeah. I got to the end of mine, and yeah. I don't know if you'll remember this, but there's, at least when I did it, there was a series of questions before they'll tell you whether you passed. Right. They want to know about the testing environment. Yes. And I just hammered out some very honest answers because yeah. I thought, uh, you know, I didn't pass. Might as well tell them right. that this dark, dank basement. It was. Where, where do you remember where you took McLean. your? Was it in McLean? Yeah, I took mine in, in Tyson's. Falls Church. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I, exactly. They're not a very. Um, they're not very comfortable testing facilities, are no, they? No, <laughs> not at all. And so it's shocking to me. And. Um, with the real estate exam, it may be true with all sort of state level exams, but mm-hmm. at least with the real estate exam, the questions are written to try to trick the person answering them. And I was trained to write test questions and you don't do that. What you do with test questions is you write them to figure out what the person knows, not whether or not they can navigate a tricky question. Yeah. How you're trying to trick them. Yeah. So you were not tricked and I was not tricked. There you go. (laughs) So you passed the test. I did. And then where did you get your start with the uh, company? I interviewed with two offices and ended up choosing McLean. Okay. Um, I was living in Herndon at the time. And um, I I interviewed with Lonnie Plaster, who was the broker in McLean at the time. And we hit it off immediately. You got to be some kind of special different if you can't hit it off with Lonnie. That is very true. Very. 
very true. <laughs> yeah, very um, likable guy. He really is. And he took me under his wing. Um, So I was working with him and with Susan Westbrook, uh, who's now running that office. Yep, still my broker today. Absolutely. And um, I just went to work every single day. So one of the things that you may not know is that we don't... We fosters, my uncle, my cousin Paul, mm-hmm. my brother, they don't give you referrals. They don't give you leads of any kind. Either. I was, I was going to actually say that because I do know for a fact that you had to come in and cut your own teeth. And yes. I know Boomer did as well. And I remember when Boomer was young in the company, he had to work his way uh, through it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I totally understand and know that you were given the same opportunity that everybody else was. That's right. Yeah. You either make it on your own or you don't make it. And yeah. that, to me, is something that I respect so much about how this went, mm-hmm. because I don't know how the realtors who work with me now could respect me right. if I were fed leads and yeah. that allowed me to build my business. Yeah. I did what everybody else does. Um and I was new to, to the DC area, so mm-hmm. I also had to figure out where I built a database mm-hmm. and from that a sphere of influence, you know, that yeah. small group of people that you really develop relationships with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it ended up being a church that I joined in Reston, mm-hmm. uh, where where most of that came from. And that was... Um, that was it was really nice to be able to build relationships with people mm-hmm. and see the business come from that and that speaks to what you were saying or what we were talking about about the perception of realtors from television right versus the reality at least in our company which is go out and love on people do life with people mm-hmm. and the business comes from that because they want to work with people who they like, know, and trust. Absolutely, absolutely. So you yeah. you you do life with people, and the business the business just comes right. from that. Just you know, one thing I would dovetail on what you just said. You know, you're a manager now. Mm-hmm. If you had not, you know, had your feet on the ground and and been out there and been a, a successful agent, it would be difficult for you to be a successful manager because it's hard to tell people what to do and how to react unless you have the experience in the field yourself, you know, Absolutely. so it's a, it's an important, uh, it's an important journey. So. That move into management is an interesting story. If you'd like to hear that. That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll never forget that day. Honestly, yeah. um, I was walking through our offices in McLean mm-hmm. to a little office that I shared with Marjorie Myers, who's to this day, one of my very favorite people. Um, and Lonnie saw me pass by and yeah. he said, Hey, Rachel, do you have a minute? Sure. Um, I walk into his office and he said, I'm being promoted. I'm moving into a regional manager position mm-hmm. and I'm going to move Susan into my position running the office. Mm-hmm. And I would like you to become uh, the sales manager. Right. So essentially the second in command um, in McLean. Mm-hmm. I'd only been a realtor. 18 months, maybe a little bit longer than that. And I looked at him and like I told you and uh, about doing this interview and Boomer about becoming a realtor, I said, no, (laughs) no. I said, first of all, have you talked to Boomer? And he said, no. And I thought to myself in complete relief, good. He's on an airplane. I knew he was flying back from like Seattle or Portland or something. And I was like, good, I'll get to him first. (laughs) Right. Um, And then I said, Lonnie, this is the number one or number two office in the company. You cannot afford to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. 
all of these people know me mm-hmm. as somebody who didn't know anything 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, this, this does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I got out of his office, which was as quickly as I possibly could, I called Boomer and I left a message and I said, hey, as soon as you land, give me a call. Again, thinking to myself, Lonnie's going to make that same call. Right. And of the two of us, no offense to Lonnie, but he's probably going to call me back first. You would hope. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Um, And so Boomer called me back when he landed and he said, hey, what's up? And I said, have you talked to Lonnie yet? And he said, no. And I said, he's got this idea that I should move into management. Mm -hmm. And Boomer immediately said, uh... No, yeah. <laughs> and gave me the exact reasons I gave Lonnie. Right, 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 right. It wasn't you're not capable of going into management. Mm-hmm. It was you haven't been doing this for very long. Right, right. Um, one of the great things, at least with Long and Foster, about being a sales manager is you also continue to sell. Right. So I continued to learn the business mm-hmm. while I supported the agents in the McLean office. And there's not um, a better way to learn than to teach. Yes. Yeah, because you yeah. get all of the problems land on your desk. They do. Yes, a job I would not want. Somebody frankly. asked me the other day um, what I what, what well, I, So let's oh, come sorry, back yes. up real quick. So you did end up taking the job, <laughs> and I know this because you were my sales manager. Right. So, so how did it come about that you changed your mind? And then we'll go on. I think Boomer and Wes talked about it and, and probably talked to Lonnie about it, mm-hmm. and they came around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... I, you know, I don't have a real clear memory of that. Okay. What I do have a clear memory of, though, is the day that it was announced at the sales meeting in McLean. Mm-hmm. I remember going back to the office that I share with Marjorie, and I had the biggest grin on my face. Good for you. Because it dawned on me that, in a lot of ways, the the realtor client relationship mm-hmm. can become transactional. Yes. Where I help you till we get to closing, and then I'm done. Right. Now, great realtors don't don't do that, right. right? They they stay with their clients. They continue to check on them. They mm-hmm. celebrate, you know, birthdays and house anniversaries and mm-hmm. you know all of those things with their clients. Um, but the average realtor doesn't. And mm-hmm. so I, for for me, thinking about the transactional or potential transactional nature of that relationship versus the opportunity to speak into the lives of realtors over an extended period of time Mm -hmm. and roll up my sleeves and help them become better at what they do and support them in their success Mm -hmm. was what drove me. And so even on that very first day, I was like, this is going to be great. This suits me. A lot of folks think that building a custom home is a complicated and arduous process. It doesn't have to be. At Stanley Martin Custom Homes, we have the process down to a science. We will bring you through the buying, design, and building phase one step at a time. Head on over to webuildonyourlot.com and check us out. Reach out to us if you want to get started on the path to your very own Stanley Martin Custom Home. I did want to talk to you today about transactional real estate versus 
relational real estate, which is something you are you still selling today, by the way? Are you so realtors in our marketplace in Charlottesville, Virginia, mm-hmm. um, and in the Stanton Waynesboro area? We uh, sorry, managers, right can sell real estate. We are allowed to. Um, I don't. And there are a few reasons why. Um, One of those is there's a perception that you're competing with your realtors. Sure. And the last thing that I would ever want my realtors to think is that I've taken a deal that, or or an opportunity that, that, yeah, could have been theirs. Yeah, that's 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 a great that's a great point. I can appreciate that. Yeah, and I also and feel like you know I'm getting a salary yeah, to serve them, right? To be present, right? And if I am not present, um, you know, I that that's problematic. Yeah, uh, for me, and no judgment about how anybody else goes about it, mm-hmm. but for me, that just could never work. So I don't I don't sell any longer. Right. So there are there are a lot of very successful agents who have a transactional practice, and and I think there's a, uh, a a great market for those. I think there's a piece of the public that wants to come into a practice where everything is transactional and regimented and all the systems are in place and they just kind of go through the whole thing and their house gets sold and everything's good. You know, but the, but the relationship uh, piece of it is what I think drives you based on conversations you have I've had, right? Absolutely. Relationships in this business are everything from mm-hmm. my perspective. And I agree with you. There are a lot of people out there who are successful um, working uh, in, under a transactional model, and that's great for them. Mm-hmm. It's just not what gets me out of bed in the morning. Right. And it's not how I train my agents. Right. We talk all the time. Um, in fact, they probably get tired of hearing this, but I say go deeper with fewer people. Mm-hmm. You don't need a sphere of influence that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in it. Mm-hmm. You can't do life with hundreds of people. Right. It becomes transactional. Exactly. Then. Right. And which which I think is a lot of what's happened to me over my career is, you know, and I, I even I even have great memories and I still talk to people I did transactions with 15 years ago who I had long and deep and 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 very lengthy and great relationships with them throughout the entire transaction and as time goes on you have more people around you and you're you're you know me personally I'm less in front of the customer now, even less so than I was four or five years ago. And uh, that's part of the reason I want to do this podcast is to be able to share uh, a a piece of what I used to be able to share with folks uh, back in the day. Mm -hmm. But for that, for that, for that relationship that you're, because that's one of the things that gets you out of bed in the morning, as you said, is helping people pun intended, to foster relationships, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, so uh, what is, what is most satisfying about the relationship that you have with your agents? Because now back in the day, you were fostering relationships with your clients and I'm sure you're still in touch with them. I don't even have to ask you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but, but now you're uh, going deep with your relationships with your agents. What does that look like on a, on a daily basis? I know a lot of conversations and things, but what gets you out of bed? What is this, you know, pull the curtain back a little bit and try to give us some color on to what does that look like? You know, I've used this phrase a couple of times, doing life with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what's going on in their lives. I know, you know, um, I, I know their their husbands or wives or children. I know what challenges they're facing, and mm-hmm. I help them through that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it, you you have to be able to commit to just fully doing life with 
realtors when you're supporting their business. And I tell them all the time, look, if you want to be um, a great realtor, you also have to have time to be a great parent mm-hmm. and a great spouse. And you have to have time for yourself. There's there's a lot of coaching that goes into balance and being a complete person. Mm-hmm. And um, so what gets me out of bed in the morning is being able to interact with them in meaningful ways, mm-hmm. um, being what is called a servant leader, rolling mm-hmm. up my sleeves and walking the walk. You know, if if we need to put stamps and and um, and mailing labels on envelopes, I I get down and I do that. Like whatever it is that needs to get done, we get that work done. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of all of that, we get to know one another. We care about one another. And it speaks to our earlier conversation about the culture of Long and Foster overall, Mm -hmm. that we really are committed to being supportive of one another, being generous with our time. Mm -hmm. I remember starting in the McLean office, and to this day, it astounds me that Lillian Jorgensen, who is one of the top agents in our company, would stop what she was doing to help and not just me, like a lot of times I have to think about the fact that, you know, my last name is Foster and there are certain things that probably happen in my life that don't happen in most new agents lives. Sure. Right. And in, in a company called Long and Foster. Right. <laughs> but she would stop what she was doing to help anybody who Mm -hmm. had a question who needed something. Mm -hmm. And that was true of Kate Ryan and Nancy Wilson and Mm -hmm. Laurie Mensing. Like, and I could go on and on and on and name other colleagues that we had in McLean. And I see that in my offices now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes me really proud Mm -hmm. to go to, to go to battle with and for these people, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause sometimes it is a battle. Sometimes it's a slog, you know, that you have to work through some very difficult things and transactions are, that are falling apart when this is the seller's dream to mm-hmm. be able to move closer to their grandchild, right. or this is their buyer's dream to right. be able to buy their first house and have this investment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, just coming full circle to that idea of being present in their lives, mm-hmm. helping them solve problems. I've told people before, you know, when they ask me what my job is, essentially it's the chief problem solver. Yeah. And a lot of times what I've noticed in my business is that they will come to me with a problem. Mm-hmm. We will work through it. And one of the best ways to do that is just to ask them questions until they get to the point where, cause they had the answer when they came right. to me, right. they just needed to bounce it off of someone. Sure. So, you know, it, so part of that is that coaching and listening and just being an ear for them. Mm-hmm. But the the interesting thing about my job is that once they have the solution and they've gone out to work it, a lot of times I don't know what happens. Right. I just see that it's successfully closed. Right, right, right. right. And you don't have time to go back and find out everything that happened with every problem that landed on your desk. Because I know for a fact... There are a lot of problems hitting your desk and your phone every day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's my joy to help help them solve those problems, but you're right. right. I don't have time to go back and figure out what, you know, what worked and what didn't yeah. um, a lot of times yeah. unless they make the point to let me know. So, it's Fantastic. it's nice when they do. Fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, Rachel, that's that 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 is uh everything you just said about the culture. I want to second that because 
you know, I've, I, I, I spoke about this in my very first episode, which I don't know if you had a chance to listen to yet or I not. Did. But when I owned my marketing company, I was the primary salesperson for the company. And I would cold call and just walk into businesses. And after years and years and years of doing this, I would know within just a few minutes what kind of experience I was going to have with that company because I would earn their business and then I would have to fill the orders of, of, of the products and materials and services they bought. And companies that had this really great feeling when I first walked in turned out to be great customers. And that's what it was for me at Long & Foster. That's what it is for me at Long & Foster. And it is for me with, with uh, Stanley Martin Custom Homes. And a lot of the names you mentioned of the folks that are here in the McLean office are certainly all givers and they're all very generous and they all stop, including my mom, Lillian, and, and the other folks. If you have a question, if you have a problem, they will stop whatever they're doing, along with many others. There's 350 agents in that office and they're all extremely generous and willing to help. And the more they give, the more they get. And that's part of the whole culture, I think, with Long and Foster. So I'm glad you said that. I second it. I appreciate it. And, and again, I'm grateful to be a part of this organization. And thank you again for coming in to, to have this chat on microphone reluctantly. So I hope you're I hope you're happy with the way it went. It is completely my pleasure. Um, this has been a joy. Great. So let's talk about your so there's a charity you're involved with. And we're going to do another uh, episode right after we conclude this one. But let's let's uh, kind of wet the whistle a little for the folks that are listening. Tell us about uh, your your charity. How are you involved? And a little bit, just uh, three, four minutes on what is it? So when I moved to the Charlottesville area in 2016, mm-hmm. um, I immediately formed an agent advisory group at mm-hmm. my office. And mm-hmm. so I brought in, well, brought in, I, my agents voted in four or five agents to represent them. And one of the goals that I had was, let's figure out what charities in town we can get involved in that are related in some tangential way to what we do as realtors, right. but that allow us to give back to the community in some way. And mm-hmm. So we work with the Ronald McDonald House Mm -hmm. with a group called the Shelter for Help in Emergency Mm -hmm. and then with the Albemarle Housing Improvement Program, Mm -hmm. which has really become a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. I serve on their board. Um, I've been on their board for a little over two years now. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, um, the thing that makes me most proud and actually most um, energized and interested is my realtors and I, we get out and we build wheelchair ramps wow. or sheds for families. We have painted, we have moved furniture. Um, I'm just really passionate about what um, AHIP uh, mm-hmm. what they do for families in Albemarle County. If So an example from the spring of 2019, we were building a wheelchair ramp. AHIP was also putting an addition on a home. Mm -hmm. And it was for a family whose daughter was um, or is wheelchair bound. Mm -hmm. And she had grown enough that they couldn't carry her up the stairs to her bedroom any longer. Mm -hmm. So in order for AHIP to keep them in that home, they they built a bedroom on the lower part of it so that that she would be able to get to and from her bedroom very easily. Wow. And we built uh, the wheelchair ramp and it was 
I, I don't have the tools or the experience to, you know, to run out and, and do a wheelchair ramp. Right, but right. what AHIP does masterfully is they have people who will take a group of realtors like us mm-hmm. and walk us through just very simple steps to know how to put this together. And then they follow behind to make sure, um, you know, that we're doing it and it's going to pass right. um, inspection. That it's safe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I... When I think about charities, I I do like to give my money, and mm-hmm. and I do that. But to me, it's much more powerful mm-hmm. um, to give my time. Mm-hmm. I I like to be. I like to be present, actually making a difference in people's lives. And that family that we built that particular ramp for, um, they came out and served us lunch. Uh, they kept coming out and thanking us. I mean, it really is just overwhelming to know what a difference you're making in people's lives mm-hmm. simply by showing up and you know using a hammer for several hours. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Rachel. We're going to sit down with Jen Jacobs now, and we're going to have a conversation with her, and uh, that'll be a uh, episode that will follow yours. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Like what you're hearing on the Go With John show? Let us know what you think by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends. To sign up for show updates, head to GoWithJohn.com to join our list.